Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fifth edition. This is John Parings. Hey, everyone. This is John Montoya. And uh, today we're on episode 11. We're going to talk a little bit about life insurance policy design. And one of the reasons is um, if you go out onto the internet, into the YouTubes, the internet forums, the Facebooks of the world, there's a lot of opinions about um, well, there's just a lot of opinions about life insurance in general. And if you can get past um, the negative opinions of whole life insurance, where you actually want to buy some, there's a whole bunch of other uh, information that is incomplete at best in terms of what's the correct way to design a life insurance policy. And uh, so the subject of this episode is really, um, there is no way to correct there's no one correct way to design a life insurance policy that's right it's got to be customized uh, we were talking about how you know people b buy and drive different cars it's right. exactly the same thing with life insurance just because your neighbor might have that new tesla that you've been wanting forever and i'm speaking for myself personally here um <laughs> It doesn't mean that's the right car for you. you know? yeah, and, and, and when it comes to the car that you're driving now, I can tell that you decided that was not the right car for you. What's that? I'm sorry. <laughs> Seeing the car that you drive now, I know that that was not the right car for you. Seeing the car that I drive my, you, you mean my Larry David car? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that car. I love it too. I, I'm so grateful that I drive this little BMW i3 and it's man my, my kids kind of laughed at me when I bought this car but it fits me to a T because I really don't go anywhere I hate putting gas in my car and I, it's it's actually a lot of fun it's like it's like driving a golf cart anyway I get off topic here um, but I've been eyeing a Tesla forever and I just couldn't do it because I'm a little bit too frugal to go out and spend you know a hundred thousand hundred and forty thousand on a depreciating asset I don't care how cool it is I just can't do it so I bought <laughs> I bought a twenty thousand uh, dollar used i3 that's what I drive to the grocery store that's my that's my uh, grocery getter anyway let's Let's That's get back great. to life insurance. Well, hold on. Before we go totally into life insurance, when we say everybody drives a different car, and so that's how you know life insurance is as well, sometimes you do end up with the same car. My first new car when I was younger was a Honda Element, and so I would see other Honda Element owners, and I would always wave at them. So you, know, you could probably find some other policy owners out there that have a similarly designed life insurance policy. You can like high-five each other in the hallway as you, as you walk by each other. <laughs> but the hardest part is getting them to admit that they actually have one. I, I, <laughs> Same I, with owning a Honda Element, by the way. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Well, I mean, it's not like a... Uh, Pontiac Aztec or something like that. <laughs> That's true. <it> was. <laughs> nice uh, Walter White reference. Yeah, I can't help it. Yep. So uh, back to insurance. So, um, you know, we're talking about the policy design and, you know, is there a correct way to do it? You'll see a lot of kind of, uh, you know, pundits out there or experts that will tell you about the correct way to design a life insurance policy. Um, usually that's in some form of telling you that we, that you want to have, um, the absolute maximum amount of cash value that you can. And, 
you know, if, um, if, if it weren't life insurance and there weren't some parameters around how life insurance works and how the IRS, uh, rules affect how life insurance policies can be uh, structured, you know, obviously more cash value is better, but we do have those limitations. And so, you know, the first thing we have to understand is that life insurance cash value cannot exist without a life insurance death benefit. Like the death benefit is life insurance and all the other benefits that life insurance provide, such as the tax treatment, the guarantees, the, the, the cash value, the leverage, it all exists because it is life insurance and life insurance is about the death benefit. And so that's the first thing to understand. A lot of people think that, um, you know, they're buying life insurance and they're like, you know, finding some little loophole to, to get cash value. And that's not what's happening here. We're buying life insurance because it is life insurance. And it just so happens that we have these, um, you know, the cash value is there because it's a present value of a future cash flow. And so that's the first thing to understand about how that works. So I, I tend to call it the, the living benefit mm -hmm. in addition to calling it the cash value. And, and I love saying that, you know, the, the cash value is the present value of that future death benefit. We're talking to the majority of people that we talk to aren't interested in a death benefit or at least the maximum amount of death benefit that they can get when they're requesting an IBC policy. There is that function of what the death benefit does and why it has mm -hmm. to be there. And when it comes to designing a whole life policy, each unique situation that exists out there and no situation is the same, there's going to be a slightly different design. And in some cases, yeah. maybe it might be hugely different depending on the situation, you know, the, the age of the person, how, um, you know, how long they're going to, how long they plan to fund it, how much premium they're going to put in, um, how healthy they are, you know, not, not er everyone is gifted with a preferred plus rating. You know, mm -hmm. some, some people unfortunately have health issues that they've had to overcome. And, you know, uh, in my situation, you know, I, I had a parent who passed before age 60 from cancer and that, in that, that affects my underwriting. You know, I, I can't get a preferred plus rating with most right. of the carriers because that's in my profile. So yep. not every situation is similar. And so that's why I mentioned, you know, not everybody drives the same car, you know, it's, it's, it. it's it, it, it's great that, that, you know, the Teslas of the world exist, but when it comes to life insurance, I mean, it's a completely different product. It's a completely different, um, I don't know what, what else to call it. Uh, I mean, we talk about IBC, it's not a product, it's not a policy, it's not a plan per se, it's a process. Um, we, mm -hmm. we try to hit on that quite a bit, but if we're specifically talking about life insurance and the design of whole life policies, then, you know, it's gotta be customized to your situation. And I guarantee you, your situation is very different from your neighbor's situation. Absolutely. And, you know, when you say it's a process, not a product, that is completely true. And, you know, there, you can, you can do the infinite banking concept. You can run that process with, a whole life insurance that policy that's maxed out for cash value 
And you can run that process just the same with a straight whole life policy with no PUA rider. Now, it's actually not quite the same because without the PUA rider, if you go out and make an, and leverage that cash to make an investment and you earn a profit, you can't put the profit back into that same life insurance policy. So it is different in that, in that perspective, but you can still do IBC with a straight whole life product, even though preferred, we want to use that PUA rider. And that's the kind of traditional way that infinite banking would be used. But I can tell you that um, I've run into situations where a straight whole life policy was the better solution for the client because they had a they had a need and a desire to have more upfront death benefit. And in that case, we did a straight whole life policy because it was right for the client. When would you do an IBC policy for 100% liquidity? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I don't. I don't think you can. <laughs> well, you're right. Talking about uh, different, different designs, you know, we, we structure these policies so that it fits each person's goals and what, what they want as far as an end game, how they're going to utilize IBC. Um, but do we ever get 100% liquidity on day one when we structure, when we design a whole life policy for our clients? No, you don't. And a lot of people really strive for that. In fact, um, maybe just last week, I got a comment on my Instagram about some guy saying how he'd be interested in being a client if, if I could deliver to him 100% cash value uh, or 100% liquidity on, uh, on day one or 100% equity is another way to say it, where the amount of premium you pay, you have that much in cash value. And so you know, Ryan Griggs had a, has an article out there, or maybe it was a Facebook post. And he, you know, he said, if you want a hundred percent liquidity from day one, just keep your money in cash. You know, it's like, yeah, that's true. This is, this isn't, you know, a savings account, although it, it will act like one once you funded it, what other enterprise can you start and have 100% equity and liquidity from day one? It, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't exist. So we have to change the way we're thinking about this, where we're creating like a little micro business and that micro business has some startup costs. And, uh, you know, just like all good things, you know, you don't get nothing, nothing in life is for free, is free. So, um, I think people really need to have a little bit more of an open mind about how and what the purpose of these policies are for and understand the process a little bit better. Yeah, definitely. There's education that needs to happen when it comes to understanding how these policies are designed, where, where the death benefit fits in, because yeah, you're, you're never going to achieve a hundred percent liquidity. I mean, anyone asking for that, uh, frankly is on a, uh, another planet because it just steeped in reality about that request. Yeah, and it, it, it's really just from a lack of understanding about how life insurance works. A lot of people think that life insurance companies, you know, go out and just invest your money for you. They don't understand the, the actuarial side of life insurance in terms of, you know, the, the, the insurance companies know ex pretty much exactly what's going on. Like they know by using the law of large numbers, they know you know, X number of people are going to die out of this number, this group of 10,000 people or whatever it is. And so they can very accurately predict 
when a death benefit is going to be paid out and for how much. And because of that, that's how whole life insurance offers a guaranteed death benefit. And that's the only reason cash value exists because there's a guaranteed future cash flow. Yeah. And I think the, the best way to look at a whole life policy and more to the point, an IBC whole life policy is to look at it like a business, like your very own finance business that you're starting from the ground up and you need to capitalize it. But you have to understand that your business has operational costs, mm-hmm. but here's a business that's guaranteed to turn a profit. That's Not right. only is it guaranteed to turn a profit, but it's going to turn a larger profit each and every year. Right. And so you have to come into it knowing that, okay, just exactly like what you said, you know, what other enterprise do you have 100% equity from day one? Can't think of one. Well, this is no different. And so you have to come in with the realization that you're going to overcome the startup costs. It will happen contractually. It's guaranteed to do so. So if you're thinking long-term, you've got that proper business owner mindset, you're in it for the long haul, you've got the discipline, then this is going to work out in your favor. And it's guaranteed to do so because that's the way these contracts are written. But you have to understand that you are going to be at a deficit in the early years. You're still, you know, that money, that cash value is liquid. You have it available and it's building every year, but you are going to be negative until you reach profitability within that policy. And then from that point on, this just gets better and better because it becomes more efficient with time. It's great. I mean, so talking about some of the trade-offs, you know, a lot of people look at stuffing a bunch of upfront cash into a policy and getting as much cash value, as much of a percentage of their premium into cash value as quickly as possible. And like I said, if, if none of the you know, parameters existed and, we, and that, that could just happen, then obviously that'd be good. But since we do have parameters set by the IRS and we do have parameters that this is based on actuarial math, um, there are some limitations to that. And so everything in a life insurance policy is a trade-off. There's no, there are no deals. You know, that's another quote by Norm Baker that I learned through Todd Langford. There are no deals in the life insurance business. Everything is going to be a trade-off. This isn't like a, you know, secret um, sauce. There's a, or, you know, like a secret, you know, loophole or something. There's a reason why all this stuff works. And so, for instance, if you front load maximum cash value, everything you can get into cash value over the death benefit, that will be a, a shorter policy payment period, you know, just to, just to name a, a, a period, let's just say five years, you know, that policy will have to pay up in five years. It may not be exactly five years, just in case people are saying they can do it differently, but it'll be a shorter payment period than it would be if we, if we didn't put as much cash value and we, when we let the death benefit uh, be a little bit bigger as a percentage of, you know, the premium. And so um, the, the trade-off is once that policy is paid up, you can no longer put cash into it, right? And so what's happening is a lot of people are setting up these short pay policies where the policies reduced paid up early on, right at the point where they overcome all their startup costs, as you were just mentioning earlier. Mm-hmm. So they're getting to that point, their startup costs are covered, and now everything is, is profit. Like every dollar they put in, 
is they get more than $1 in growth. And now all of a sudden they have a policy that they can no longer do that with. Whereas if they had a policy that was a longer pay, they could keep putting premium payments in there. So for instance, if they had a $10,000 premium payment, where else can you put cash, $10,000 in cash, and one year later you've got $15,000 of additional cash, liquid. It's like nowhere. And you know, so that's a, it's a, it's a trade-off that people I think are not fully aware of, especially if they listen to some of the, you know, YouTube videos and some people out there that don't fully understand. They're not actually authorized IBC guys and don't maybe don't fully understand that. And so I think it's important to understand the full picture where maybe a short pay does make sense, but Hey, here's the, here's the big picture. And so it's kind of up to you um, understanding, you know, the time value of money, which one's better, you know? You have to think about where you're getting the, the money to fund the premium. Because if you're funding an IBC plan from your income yep. and, you know, let, let's say you're in your 30s and you plan to work for another 25, 30, I don't know, 40 years. Well, does it make sense to set up a, a policy where you're only funding it for five, seven, eight, even 10 years? Well, what are you going to do? Once, once you reach that point where you can't put any more money into it because you got a plan, you started with a plan that sounded great in the beginning, but it, you, you realize much later that, well, you weren't thinking long-term. You didn't match the funding source with the actual output for the years in, in which you're, you're going to be funding that plan. So I think it's important to look at your situation look where the premium is going to be coming from and match that horizon with, you know, what you want to have happen, how long you plan to really fund that plan. I love the way you say that matching the income to the, to the, to the design. And, you know, so one objection to, to what we just said would be, well, if you, if you pay up the policy, you know, if you can't put any more money into it, then you just start your next policy. And that is true if you can qualify for it. <laughs> so, you know, the, and by the way, it also gets more expensive as, you, as we get older and we don't know what our health will be. And so, you know, the one thing that's true is that um, we don't get any younger from day to day. And so it's, it, it's, it's possible that that can happen, but it, it also um, doesn't account for all the variables. Any other policy design myths you can think of? Well, here's one, you know, a lot of times people, when by the time they find us, they're looking at um, IBC as a how much am I willing to put into it, right? And and that's that's fine and and valid. But the other thing to think about is um, what will happen to your plan? You know, everybody has these plans. What what would happen to your plan if you died the next day? Does does that plan continue to be um, executed? where you are no longer alive to earn an income and fund all these different things that you're funding. And so I think human economic value or human life value needs to be a part of that discussion. And if we're actually buying enough life insurance, most Americans are chronically underinsured. And if we're looking to fix that, where we ensure that our family gets the amount, the same amount of money that they would have gotten if we were alive the whole time. If we look at that, the other issue that we have with 
um, stuffing too much cash and paying up these policies early is it increases our total underwriting amount. And so for a lower premium amount of dollars, we're actually taking up all of our underwriting, um, uh, the total underwriting that we can get from the insurance companies. And so we're only able to put either a lower premium or we have to pay up the policy early and under, in order to stay within those underwriting limits. And so depending on the situation, it, you could definitely show and prove that you could end up with a larger policy and more cash value um, by having a longer payment period by uh, keeping the total underwriting amount down. And so I think that's an important thing to discuss, um, especially with these new mortality tables. I'm definitely seeing, you know, the more premium buys you more death benefits. So underwriting amounts are increasing. And so uh, I think it's an important part of the discussion to have to, to make sure that human life value is covered. Ultimately, even for people interested in IBC, it's extremely important that they understand what human life value is, what it means, and how they can incorporate it into their overall uh, IBC design, because it's not all about high early cash values. It's a nice benefit and perk and everything else, but you got to think bigger picture. And, you know, I always try to share with people, if you're doing IBC right, you're going to have multiple policies. So it's, it's got to fit in. And you've got to be thinking long-term mm -hmm. about how much death benefit um, there is on, on each plan, because it, it will affect how much death benefit you could potentially qualify for later on. That's right. That's right. How, how uh, important is high early cash value? you know, if you die that very year, you know, the, no one's going to experience the high early cash value anyway. It'll just be the death benefit and it'll be a lower death benefit. So, you know, it's, it's part of a overall big picture. And I, I think you and I are both saying there's no, there's no one right way to do it. We're not necessarily saying high early cash value is bad, but, you know, talk about the big picture and make sure, make sure you understand all the levers that are, that are available to, uh, to pull on these policies, to design it the way that it makes sense. Yeah. I'm kind of chuckling at myself because I'm thinking about that Tesla that my neighbor <laughs> drives and man, you know, I, I'd love to hit that like insano mode and, and get it to like 3.2 seconds. Yeah. You know, 16, you know, what is it? zero to 16, 3.2 seconds, something like that. And yeah. have the 300 mile range. Um, but the reality is I don't drive my car very fast. Not that mm -hmm. it even goes that fast, but that's typically not my driving style anyway. And I stay within a 10 mile radius, you know? So I, I charge my car once and I don't have to charge it for like a week and a half. And it barely gets like 80 miles, you know, per charge, but it's the right fit for me. It brings me back to, you know, what is your right fit? Yes, that's it. You could have been an element owner all along. <laughs> In another life, I might be. <laughs> uh, I like the I like our car analogies today. It's been good. All right. Well, I think um, I think that wraps up our talk for today. Um, thanks for joining everybody. If you want to uh, get some more information on what we're doing out there, you can go to the fifthedition.com and um, get a hold of us. All right. Well, be good, everybody. And if you can't be good, be safe. Take care. <laughs>